Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. Today, I have two very special guests, and very excited because this is the first time that I have recorded with two other people. So today, I'm joined by Ariel and Candice, who are the two hosts of Not Your Final Girl Pod. Ariel and Candice, how are you doing today? Doing very well. Yes, Thank thanks you. for having us. Thanks for coming on. Um, Ariel, I was messaging you on Instagram and I mentioned at the start of this month, I got really sick from the booster shot. Mm-hmm. And I found you guys on Instagram and uh, listened to like all your episodes because you pretty much kept me sane from like <laughs> my fever, sweaty bed. And uh, yeah, I just, I love what you guys get up to on your, on your own podcast. And so great to talk to two other women who are so into the horror genre. Yeah, I was excited oh, yeah. when you hit us up because I, I, I creeped on your Instagram at that point. I was like, wow, I love all these movies and the ones I haven't heard of. I know that we clearly vibe with our tastes, so I need to watch immediately. <laughs> How did you guys kind of get together in the horror podcast game? I think we just really like to talk about horror movies together and we eventually we're like we're so we're we're like we have such like smart conversations that other people should hear us we should record it so it was kind of just hubris I think (laughs) Uh, I agree yeah we just we liked similar movies well and I feel like we both have like different enough tastes so it keeps it interesting it's not like I don't know we it's nice to talk to someone who doesn't have the exact same taste as you right like it kind of expands your horizons and so like Candace is like was more into the extreme horror and I was into I don't know, weird, nerdy shit. And so it, it just works really well for conversation. I feel, I hope anyway. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you two vibe with each other really well. And I like that you always ask your guests like their earliest horror memory. So I wanted to flip it around and I wanted to ask you two what your earliest horror memory mm-hmm. is. Ooh, Candace, you want to go? Yeah, I think for me, I have to say it was probably... Um, that if I stayed up late enough after like when my parents were watching TV at night, I mean, I watched, okay, actually it's probably the X-Files is really like the thing that like super scared me a lot. Cause I watched the X-Files with my parents, but also if it got late enough while my parents were watching TV, um, when I was a kid, the, um, tales from the crypt would come on. And I was so scared of the crypt keeper. Like he freaked me out so much that like my parents could usually get me to go to bed by being like, the crypt keeper's gonna come on soon. And I'd be like, oh no, I don't want nothing to do with that guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was also kind of something where like I started getting really interested in like special effects makeup and stuff because I wanted to like I wanted to conquer the fear and like see past it. So yeah, now I now I love Tales from the Crypt. Hell and yeah. you love the Crypt Keeper. He's cool as hell. Yeah. He is. Yeah, he's actually pretty goofy. Like, I should have stuck around. I love it. <laughs> no, I uh, Ariel, that. how about you? What's your earliest horror memory? Um. Well, I will say that Beetlejuice scared the shit out of me. If we're going to talk about, like, campy stuff that scared you as a kid. Um, I honestly, like, I had not watched it until actually a couple years ago because I had a nightmare when I was a kid that Beetlejuice murdered my dog. Um, oh my and was, god! Like, laughing about it, and it was so deeply disturbing. Like I woke, well, I woke up sobbing. Anyways, oh, so like horrible. Um, I just had a lot of. I had a really vivid imagination as a kid. I had a lot of um, really intense nightmares and like really vivid um, like story nightmares, and some of them would re- be recurring. And so that was kind of like an early memory for me. And I found out later, growing up, 
my mom liked to tell me, she was like, I didn't allow you to watch anything scary or read anything scary because you did enough of that shit on your own. And she's like, I didn't want to like wake up at 3 a.m. more than I already was because you were like running to my room. So um, I, I guess I just always had it and would always, I don't remember this, but my mom liked to tell the story of um, my mom and my aunt one time were paint, uh, like doing stencils, you know, back in the day when that was in, can you imagine? Like instead of wallpaper or painting, it was like <laughs> fucking stencils on your wall. Anyways, um, but they were doing it of like a cat, like it was a cat's face. And I just like, hated it and was crying my mom was like what was wrong and I was like look at its eyes look at his eyes and oh so I, I just always wow. had this like weird obsession penchant for making I was like well what if this thing that's completely mundane was actually horrifying and scary and so <laughs> so you've always loved it ever since you were young it was definitely like a love that was fear and then yeah becoming at this point almost desensitized right and like chasing that high like what's going to make me afraid because most things do not so ariel and canis because there's two of you you gave me kind of like a mega <laughs> ffo which i loved um so your words were we had slow burn woods queer body horror folk horror and found footage why did what what about those words just speaks to you? Why do you love this kind of horror subgenre? Oh man, I feel like this is kind of an amalgamation of both of our tastes. Like I just spat this out because I was like, I think this is like what both of us are really into, like combined. Like I'd say I'm probably more um body horror and Ariel's probably more found footage and like the woods, but both of us love a slow burn. I mean, th those words are amazing. I think folk horror especially is like really having its uh, its day in the sun right now or has been for like the last few years. Um, yes. I'm a big, huge uh, found footage fan too. But some people do not get on with found footage. As people, um, you know, refer to it often as a gimmick. Uh, it's, 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 an, it's kind of a unfortunate thing to call it a gimmick because really anything can be, right? Like a jump scare can be a gimmick. Like any anything that's like popular in the day, like... If you're not doing it well, someone will call it a gimmick. So, yeah, there's a lot of poor found footage, like not great. But even a not great found footage film, I will I will totally devour. I love that. Oh, anyway. me too. Me too. I've watched like Paranormal Activity. Like yes. they've been trashed since like the first one. But I love them. <laughs> I put well, another. That's what another thing I was watching when I was sick is I just like watched the whole series of that and the new one as well, which was not very good. But <laughs> it was it was watchable. Yeah, they're nice fun. to watch when you're sick. Yeah, exactly. So I think the film we settled on is apart from found footage because when we get into the plot and the setting of this film, found footage would be pretty much impossible. But we settled on the 2017 German film Hagazusa. It's set in the 15th century, so found footage is pretty much off the table yeah they didn't have any footage at all <laughs> yeah we realized we were talking about this and i was like i'm it might be impossible <laughs> to find a movie that has all of these for anyone who doesn't know it's actually where i got the name of my instagram um and the podcast hornblood fire uh, because Hagazusa is divided up into four chapters, which we'll get into a bit later. And those chapters are Shadow, Horn, Blood and Fire. So when I watched it, I was like, 
I'm having that. Thank you. Yes, this is so exciting. Talking about the namesake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was really happy when you guys um, agreed to do that one with me. Yeah, so, I also love this movie very much. Yeah, so Candace, you have already had already seen this movie and Ariel, it was a first time watch for you. Is that yes, right? that's yeah. correct. Okay, so what did you guys think of it? Candace, when did you see it? I think I watched this sometime in maybe 2019 mm-hmm. and um, I was, I watched it like on my laptop. I was like stoned watching it on my laptop, like in my bed and it was like a very, so like all the like really long drawn out shots in this mm-hmm. were like felt even longer yeah. to me and I was also like, <laughs> I was very scared the whole time. Like it always feels like something very bad is about to happen. And I was completely vibing with that. And yeah, it's, uh, it was fun to watch it again because there was a lot of stuff, like there's a lot of really subtle stuff that I didn't really pay attention to the first Mm -hmm. time around. So I liked it even more. I'm so impressed that you watched it when you were high because I, I like the thought of that alone just gives me an anxiety attack. <laughs> oh, yeah. I definitely could have gone in a worse direction, but I was just in the mood. <laughs> it was in a good spot. Yeah, those, those long drawn out things, you know, that's when you're already in, you know, not an exactly sto- sober state of mind that probably felt like hours long. It felt really long. Like the part where she's like washing her hair. I was oh like, my God, yeah. this movie is trying to drive me insane. <laughs> So, Ariel, what did you think after your first time watch? Um, it was, it's funny to watch. I mean, you mentioned earlier that it's, we're kind of having, folk horror is kind of having a big day right now, a big moment, I guess. Um, and it was funny to watch this movie and having never seen it because I feel like this movie is one of the early, like, heralds. Like, it helped usher in almost kind of the slow burn folk horror that everyone's kind of craving right now. So, um, it's beautiful. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful, like stunning movie. Honestly, I, I loved it. Um, it's, it is very slow, but I, I don't know. I already said, I love, you know, I love a slow burn and it's deeply fucked up, but in a way, like it shows it in a way that is very, I don't know. It makes you sit with it, but it, it also wasn't, I guess I was kind of prepared for it to be upsetting. Like Candace was like, yeah, it's a fucked up movie. Like fucked up stuff happens. And so I was like, oh, I guess it's going to be like really gnarly. But I watched it and I was like, I mean, like, yeah, on paper, it sounds really gnarly, but I didn't, I felt like I could really absorb it. It didn't feel hard. It wasn't a hard to swallow film. For sure. Yeah, yeah. This movie is really like very bad things happen in this movie, but it isn't mean. It's like actually very empathetic mm-hmm. in the way it tells the story. Yeah, absolutely. Like a and- lot of movies where bad things happen, it feels like the movie is being like, the movie is like, happily making them happen yeah yes this is a directorial debut which i keep seeing like these stunning beautiful directorial debuts and i'm like this is it like these felt like i love i can't believe this is it's so beautiful it's way too beautiful to be and and it's it's, it's just well written and and i think there's a lot going on underneath this the surface i mean it just feels like a really good folktale like it's i feel like it's it's hard to to hit that vibe I think many people try and many people fail like it often kind of is empty under the surface but um this one is not at all there's so much going on no absolutely it really feels like it feels like a 15th century German yes horror like a German fairy tale Mm -hmm. which you know it yeah it feels like I mean I had to look it up after I finished watching it uh I watched it last year and I looked up because I thought it was like a retelling of you know like a Mm -hmm. 
uh, like a fairy tale or something. And it's it's not. It's his own idea. Uh, Lucas Feigelfeld is the director. And like you said, it's his directorial debut. Um, I kind of haven't seen as many people talking about this one. And I'm wondering if a lot of it is to do with the pacing. Um, because most of the negative reviews I've seen online did seem to focus on the pacing and how slow it is. But I think it fits with the story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, um, I, I don't feel like it's like excruciatingly mm-hmm. slow. Like definitely rewatching it. I realized a lot of the, a lot of the really long shots were not as long as I initially perceived mm-hmm. them. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I don't know. It's, it's very like meditative, I guess. And I saw one review that said something about how the score only has two notes. And yeah. I was like, okay, you don't understand drone music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't understand drone as a genre. And yeah. oh, I'm not sure you understand this film's genre at all. So I'm going to discount this opinion. Yeah, I loved the soundtrack. I loved, I mean, uh, the soundtrack is by a Greek, uh, like, ambient drone duo called MMMD. And it's just an incredible sound design. It just fits. And yeah, so what if it's two notes? The sound design is amazing in this overall. It is, right? Yeah. Like, watch it with headphones if you can. Yes, yes, absolutely. I made the mistake the first time I watched it. I didn't watch with headphones. And then... More recently I did, and there's so many, like, whispers, um, rustlings, just things that you miss if you're watching it, say, on your laptop or just on the TV. It really mm-hmm. deserves, like, your full immersion into it. Um, so I just we'll just go over the plot super quickly for anyone who hasn't seen Hagazusa. Hagazusa follows the story of Albrun, who is a goat herder in the 15th century Alps. And the film starts with her and her mother who were kind of um, harassed in their house by these men in goatskins, calling them witches. And then we see Alburn as an adult and she's still kind of shunned by the community that she lives in. She lives by herself up in the most gorgeous mountainous range I've ever seen. It's just absolutely stunning. And we kind of see Alburn's descent with her infant daughter into well into all kinds of things you know there's themes in this movie of like isolation persecution um like motherhood and its failings and just all kinds of things on paper it's pretty simple but there's so much more to it once you dive into it so i'm very excited for us to get into that today so um Hagazusa is divided up into four chapters like we mentioned there is uh, shadow horn blood and fire so I thought we could kind of go through the chapters together and just, um, yeah, let's hash it out. Sounds good. Yeah, I like that. So we start with the first chapter is Shadow. And this is when Albrun is a child. And I feel like all of the chapters have at least one horrific part in them. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it takes a while to get there. But once you're at the end of the chapter, you're like, oh, my God, what have I got myself into? <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, Albert and her mother are kind of um, living in this snowy, gorgeous Alps village. And they're, like I said, they're shunned by the other villagers, accused of being witches. They, I thought this was interesting at the beginning. This is one of the things that I didn't really pay full attention to until I had another watch. Is this this old man who comes up to them at the beginning and he warns them to get home as it's um, 12th night. It's a epiphany, I think. 
There you go. This is why I have guests on who know more than me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of a wintry, Christmassy time, and the old man warns them that Perkta might get them. Reading straight from Wikipedia here, Perkta is a goddess in Alpine paganism, and she was pretty brutal. She was kind of a bit like a Santa Claus figure, I guess, like visiting children. And if the children didn't do what she wanted, she would slit their bellies open, uh, remove their stomach and guts and stuff the hole with straw and pebbles. Oh, this is uh, like a Lady Krampus kind of situation. I kind of and I don't um I don't usually like comparing films together this like simplistically, but so many people have done it and they've said um, Hagazusa is the German witch. Um, what do you guys think about that comparison? Do you think it's fair? There's definitely a lot of similarities, and I was surprised to hear that too. Like I was looking at reviews this time, and I was like, I didn't think about the witch like once while watching this the first time. I think they're extremely different, actually. But it does like they both make such a um, really um, directed effort at kind of having historical accuracy. So then, I mean, a lot of period films do not do that. So, I mean, you could say that for sure. And a lot of they are about, you know, femininity and um, they're also both called um, something about witches. So I guess they do. They do totally go together um, in that way. But I think they're accomplishing completely different things. Yeah, I think uh, I mean, I know we'll talk about the ending when we talk about the ending. But I mean, I think they're very different just in that. I mean, kind of the, the vibe that we ended on is this is such a bleak movie. Um, and the witch tries to like, uh, I mean, I love the witch, but I'm going to say the witch tries to like girl power shit. And this one doesn't really like, this one's like, no honey, girls don't have power. Like that's kind of the vibe of this movie. Um, so it's, it's very different. (laughs) I kind of, um, I would like to describe Hagazusa as like the witch's Mina older sister. Like, yeah, Yeah. there's, there's been through some shit. Yeah, yeah, you know, the witch ends with Thomasin having this great time in this, like, naked coven, and um, Albrun, as we will get to, she does not end up having such a good time. (laughs) So Albrun's mother, after they get visited by these men in these amazing... Um, goat skins. I love the costume in, in this film yeah, as well. Very it's so good. Beautiful. Yeah, really. Even that uh, scene alone is really terrifying. I like their big animal heads. Yeah. Go stand outside people's houses with that. It, this is a bunch of men standing outside a woman's home and shouting well, at and them. They're so alone. I mean, you've already felt like the very beginning, like, the opening shot of this film, it, like it's so, they're so isolated. These these two women and and vulnerable and you yeah you can't feel anything but wow they have nothing like if if these men were to light their house on fire like whatever they would just die in the wilderness you know yeah. it's it's mm-hmm. scary mm-hmm. yeah one of the things that really hit me on a rewatch is like how much nothingness there is in this movie like like you said they are so isolated and then later when Alburn is an adult and she just sat in her little hut and it's just horrible to think of like that much isolation especially when it's so dangerous as well you've got these men waiting outside and and I think this was kind of a theme uh of those times is that people just didn't have anything to do so their minds like ran rampant with ghost stories and superstitions and you know shadows on the wall that kind of thing 
And this movie does a great job of um, really bringing you into that horrible loneliness. Um, so after these men show up, Alburn's mother gets sick and she develops these pretty disgusting, like, uh, bubonic pustules. Like. She's got the plague. Yeah, she's yep. got the Black Death. Um, I mean, it doesn't say, but it's kind of, you know, given the time and the context, we can kind of figure out that she's, you know, she's not having a good time. She's got the plague or some other bacterial infection. And they grow in her armpit and, like, all over her back and, um, these two doctors come and they kind of just like shake their head and just like, nah, this one's, this one's too far gone. It's just like the symbolism is like they arrive on a black horse. Well, and they leave her alone. I just like, I was thinking about that at the end of the movie. Cause I'm like this whole time, Alburn like cannot be like, she's either forced to be alone or when she tries to be alone and it's a good thing, like it's not okay. Like she can't ever have anything on her own terms when she asks yeah. for help. They say no, but when she says, please leave me alone, no one listens. Right. Yeah, like the idea that they don't even really talk to her. No. They kind of just leave. It's like, shocking. Oh, my little girl. Yeah. Have fun with your, like, dying mother who you can't look after because you have no knowledge of, like, medicine yes. or anything. Yeah, and it's really sad because Alburn is, like, begging her mother to, like, eat something or just trying her best to take care of her. And it's just useless and yeah just the way these doctors just like kind of shake their head and just like nah i can't help but really feel for her especially when the next thing happens to her is her mother um there's this horrific like oh the noises in this movie are just so scary oh god so, yes. yeah so her mother starts like this horrific wailing and screaming and she invites alburn to get in bed with her and uh she sexually assaults her one of the most horrific parts of this movie, to be honest. It is a very unpleasant watch, as I'm sure anyone can imagine. And I couldn't really think of, like, what was the reason behind this act? I mean, obviously, at this point, the mother is, well, is she fully a witch? Has she been taken over by something? What do you guys think about where we are at this point in the movie? I kind of wondered about this the first time I watched it too. And one thing that is important about this, I think, is that she has just started her period. Um, she's a, uh, and so like, this is also kind of like a horrifying, like, uh, introduction into womanhood too. Um, like she's like kind of going through this thing. And I, I honestly, I, I don't know. I think it's completely possible, I'll say right now, to read this movie without any supernatural, um, without, like, any supernatural, like, elements actually coming into it. So I think it's possible that she just, like, she's losing her mind. Like, she's, um, she's so sick, she's dying, um, and her brain is starting to, like, just die out. And, um, she just, like... Like, there's not really any reason. She just kind of does it. Like, maybe um, the way that Alburn smells has changed or something. Yeah, yeah, because she sniffs, like, her hand pretty yes. yeah. repulsively. And then smears blood all over her face. Oh, yes. And that's a trope that we see a lot in horror mm -hmm. movies. Uh, this transition from girl into woman, like, marked by the blood on the bed. You know, yeah. there's just so many um, horror movies that have that in it. And yeah, I mean, I guess that could also that could also be read in a supernatural way that like she sensed it. Well, that's yeah. I mean, it's hard to know, but I mean, yeah, there's definitely something about you know the 
the old the older woman who which or not like yeah there's something like symbolic about like sensing someone like at the cusp of the beginning of their life right and like and the beginning of like womanhood specifically and like lusting after that right like yeah, wanting yeah. As, as she is dying mm-hmm. right so it's it's like great on a symbolic level and and yeah deeply tragic um to see anyway because you could fully even if you just read it as this woman's losing her mind and acting in this way that's deeply traumatizing to this young girl like that's still awful and sad <laughs> yeah so the next day Albrin finds her mother dead in the swamp and she's covered in snakes and that's just really one of the most horrible images but again it's got this strangely beautiful cold german backdrop to it she's in the snow in the swamp and um yeah there's just this black snake like crawling over her mother's body yeah there's a lot of shots in this that could be like the cover of a black metal album yes Mm -hmm. oh my gosh absolutely yes yeah so that's um that's the first chapter shadow and that kind of sets us up for um as alburn's childhood and then we move into the next chapter which is horn what a horny one it is because now mm-hmm. we get into Alburn's adult life and yeah, she's turned into a beautiful lady who is quite odd. The etymology of Alburn's name is kind of interesting. So I looked it up and it's from, it's a combination of the high German word Alb, which means elf or supernatural wow. being. Yeah. Or it could mean um, to shine, which we might which may make more sense later. And then the second part of her name, Rune, comes from secret lore or things about secrets and magic and murmuring, which I thought is just the perfect name for her. It sums her up really wow. well. Yes. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I think this is one of those movies where the director has really, like you said, his the historical accuracy is really great and his attention to detail on the smallest little symbolisms is really wonderful. Mm-hmm. So Alburn has a baby now when she's older. We don't know or see who the father is and that's kind of similar with her own childhood. Like from the get-go, we just see Alburn and her mother and then we don't see any father figure. It's just Alburn and her baby. And I thought that was kind of interesting because it goes back about this film has a lot about like cycles and repetitions and like generational things like that. Mm -hmm. At this point, though, after like in my horror career, as it were, whenever I see a baby, I'm just like on edge because. Oh, yeah, (laughs) we know we've seen too much. Yes. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. We know how it goes for dogs and babies in movies in horror movies um (laughs) especially um quote unquote like international or foreign horror movies they don't tend to uh they don't really hold back that's true american movies if you see one you're like that baby's yeah. They're going to stress us out with that baby, but it'll be, I don't know, up for adoption by the end of the movie yeah. in the arms of a loving family, but not in other movies. Yeah, I, now that I think about it, I've seen a lot of babies meet terrible fates in movies like over the last year. Um, Albert lives, um, like we mentioned, up in this gorgeous little place up in the Alps, and she has a very close relationship with her goats. Yes. And yes. Yes, she does. 
particularly her female goat that she's milking. Yeah. And sensuously licking the goat milk off her fingers. Right. Her dirty fingers. With her very gross fingernails. I was like, I know it was the 1500s. She doesn't have (laughs) antibacterial soap, but. But come on. You gotta you gotta drink that milk later or presumably sell it to the villagers, which is hilarious. Think about it. Masturbated milk. She's selling to the villagers. That's a great <laughs> little joke. Yeah, that's actually pretty great. Yeah. Auburn's independent business. Yeah, there's this kind of um, simultaneously really gorgeous scene and really horrible, uncomfortable scene where she is milking the goat. And it's a very like sensory experience, you know, like the sound just the sound of the wind rustling just comes through mm. and like there's a lot of focus on her hands and yes. she she enjoys that. She you know, each to their own, but that seems to uh, get her <laughs> off. It, it's an interesting, like, inversion, too, I think, because you think about, like, that pastoral kind of milkmaid that you would get in folk, in, in just, like, a folktale or even, like, folk songs, right? Like, people are very horny for the milkmaid. Um, but it's interesting to have an inversion where the milkmaid is horny for for herself and for this animal, right? Like it's a complete perversion that's actually very empowering to like the woman in it, even though it is disturbing. Yeah, I mean, she's taking something that has, you know, she's probably been, she's been a goat herder her whole life. So she's obviously well-versed in like the company of these goats and she has no one else and everyone else she does have has let her down or hurt her. So she's probably like, you know what? The goats, they're the ones I can rely on. Yeah, really, like, it becomes a little less strange when you just think about how she's just out here living her, like, solitary little life. Right. Like, I think things become more weird when you compare them to what other people are doing, and she's been so isolated. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna stand up and defend Auburn's decisions in this moment, but I can, uh, <laughs> I can possibly see where they might come from. Um, She gets interrupted by Swinda, who is... Well, it doesn't really say, does it? She's just a woman, like, from the neighborhood. She's just a lady from the village, it seems. She um, defends Auburn against some boys, some, like, teenage boys who are being assholes to her while she's carrying her milk. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of get this impression that Swinders may be a good good person, and, you know, she seems friendly enough towards Auburn, even though Auburn's... Uh, quite strange and yeah she defends her against those boys who call her they call her something like an ugly witch Um, Mm -hmm. did you did either of you get because i extremely got um and i'm only like realizing it just now but like carrie vibes like as soon as swinda comes in i was like oh no like you know what i mean like the instant dread just like and and suddenly albron albron's very very much like carrie like she's just innocent naive going to be ruined yeah you know once the popular girl gets involved Uh, yes Mm -hmm. yeah it's almost like alburn's her her shy little bookish friend that um she doesn't mean well for in the end yeah so alburn uh sorry swinda tells alburn that the priest wants to see her and so she goes down to visit the priest in the i'm not sure what the word for this place is but it's like um so it's um it's an yes. os an ossuary. Yes. Ossuary. ossuary. Yes. Oh. Yeah, this is like during the time period that well, that kind of lasted for hundreds of years where so many people were dying of the plague that 
they didn't really they couldn't bury them all and so they started doing stuff like this it looks cool rad <laughs> yeah building bone furniture yeah it really does and it's got that whole like um i don't know part of it feels like a little secret room you'd find in a video game or something where there'd be like treasure inside and the priest is um he's kind of interesting because he i mean he's obviously in the in the hypocritical realm of a lot of uh priests in movies he's like oh i just want the best for everyone except you so <laughs> it's this is like for me and I there's so many readings of this film but for me like this guy and like what he says to her is like the crux of the film for me and I don't actually feel like he's being hypocritical I think that and I'm like a huge like psychoanalytic criticism dork so like the idea like the concept of the other and like having like something that isn't you that a community can um can basically say that's not us um, is like so crucial right to, to a community um so like the abject and i in this scene i feel like he's essentially telling her like that's you like you're the abject like this is your role um which is fucked up because yeah she's gonna go through harrowing shit because of it and already has but um it's it's just really interesting to me that he hands her what he does next is hand her her mother's skull which yeah would not be what you would do if you were trying to bring someone into the fold, right? It would be something to give other people a visual marker of your otherness. I just love, I love this scene. Like this scene for me, like I think about it a lot after watching it. It's a great scene. I love how the priest says, um, he says, Alburn's path is paved with suffering and pain. Something I find interesting in this film is like, does Alburn have a choice at all in what, is going to happen to her um and what the priest says kind of insinuates like maybe not and he kind of knows what's going to happen because he's probably seen it he probably saw it happen to her mother and maybe her grandmother before that and you know countless other women and then he he gives her her mother's skull um which that skull looks great because yeah, I mean even what you were saying yeah, about the other I mean up all pretty. yeah it looks more gorgeous than the rest of them and um, yes I mean can can we when people die can you ask for that to be done because I kind of <laughs> want that done to my skull put you it in your will altar of my skull yeah put I it want, in your I will <laughs> please yeah. paint my skull with lovely green leaves and um <laughs> yeah the green leaves are really beautiful it goes back to that whole like pagan naturalistic um even even like flower crowns of like nordic and scandinavian and uh, pagan cultures i really just love that it looks it looks really gorgeous but he kind of insinuates that its presence is like sacrilegious and he kind of doesn't want it around the other skulls of the the righteous people. Oh, that could be that could be true. That, that makes saying, sense. Like I don't want this in here, but it also does feel that he tells her that all sacrilege must be cleansed from the community, and hands her the skull. And he doesn't tell her to do anything. Like it's not really. He says like, "I'm trying to save people like you," but he's not trying to save her. He doesn't tell her she needs to do anything. He doesn't like ask her to come into the like come to church on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, it's not. It's it's not an invitation. It's just kind of it's just kind of him telling her. Yeah. That's the thing. It's not even a it's not an invitation. It's not even a threat, really. It is no. just him kind of he's almost like a seer in this way. Like he's just telling her what is and what will come. 
yeah he calls her all the way down from her house um from her little hut to presumably just take this skull away why couldn't they you know trash it or right. you know, throw it in the river or throw it in the forest like why does Alburn have to take it away is it to spur something on in her is it you know a trigger point for something that's going to happen in her why does he know that why does he want that to happen yeah, yeah, it definitely also feels like if he didn't want her to practice pagan rituals, then he wouldn't have given it to right, her. Right, don't that's give her the skull. Yeah. Yeah, he could have done it. He could have, you know, smashed it up or whatever. But no, he kind of, I don't know if it's kind of a hint like, oh, please leave immediately and take your mother's filthy witchy skull with you. Because, yeah, he says like the community must be cleansed of all sacrilege, but. Is that does he want her gone or does he want her to not be sacrilegious anymore? It's just who knows is up for debate. Alburn goes back and she kind of starts hallucinating uh, sounds from the forest, like her mother's voice. And her mother's voice mm-hmm. really scares me in this movie, I have to say. Like, even though it's just a normal woman's voice, the the context behind it. Just her calling out like Albrun. It's taunting like, a little. Ooh, yes, yeah, it's scary, it really is, isn't it? Uh, and the performance of the mother, the, the, she's so, so good. good, horrific. Like Ooh. one of the scariest parts of this movie is Albrun's mother. She is just, you know, when she back to, to the first chapter when she's in bed and like her eyes go all wide and she's just yes. screaming. It's just like, oh, ooh. I mean, I love yeah. a scary old lady at any point, but. She's just, <laughs> she's just wonderful in it. She's great. Um, so then Alburn uh, masturbates again. She she's very you know she's very um open about it in this movie. I mean, I guess at this time that was probably seen as a huge sin. So, and to her, obviously, the sin is no she's no stranger to it at this point. Um, yeah. Well, she's kind of innocent. I mean, she doesn't yeah. like she's not like part of the village that would think that. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, she may not know. Yeah, she kind of, um, even though she can hear these horrible like voices coming from the forest, she still goes ahead with it. And then the next day, her daughter refuses to breastfeed. Right. Yeah, and this is true that sh- this happens right after. Like she's, um, she goes home from the ossuary with the skull. Right. And like this is when things start to change. Yeah. Right. So the next day, her daughter refuses to breastfeed again. And then she meets Swinder again. And uh, now we learn that Swinder is maybe not the kindest person that we thought she might be when we first met her. This turn is so, was so terrifying Ooh. to me the first oh, time I watched horrible. it. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. I'm wait, I'm like watching this so closely and it all feels like, yeah, you just heard this really... Yeah, kind of this like prophecy yes. almost where the priest just tells her you, what the way you live is not going to be tolerated in this village essentially and you've also been suspicious of Swinda this whole time and then she casually makes this remark about how the Jews and the heathens come out of the woods yeah. and they kidnap you and you're like oh they kidnap you and they rape you yes. like it's it's such a like having grown up in like a really religious community like it it gave me particularly like personal chills because like if you've ever been in a conversation with someone who's like kind of extremely religious and it's like oh they're very nice like I don't know and then suddenly they say something offhand that you're like this right. is come out of left field disturbing. with like the yes. most racist thing I was talking yeah. to yeah I was talking to someone once who was telling me a story about like being on a mission and I was like kind of half paying attention and she says something about how 
like, yeah, and we saw like the sun coming up and it was so symbolic because Islam is so dark and evil. Oh and my like, God, oh, what? Okay. Yes, yes. And that's, that's so normal in a lot of communities like that. So, ooh, yeah, chilling. Yeah, and Alburn, um Swinda has that kind of thing because we thought she's kind of nice. And then, yeah, like you said, she comes out and I've got the quote here. She says something about like, those who don't carry God in their hearts, the Jews and the heathens, they come in the night and like animals, they take you. And then some months later, you bear a child. And I don't really know why she says this to Alburn because I was thinking like, is this where Alburn comes from? Did someone take her in the night because we don't see her father figure, obviously. Was she taken by someone and her daughter as well? Is that where she came from? This seems to be at least what Swinda thinks. Yeah, happened. yeah, 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 for sure. And then maybe that's how they think witches, you know, are, are made. Right. Oh, and I'm considering what happens next, you might get a feeling that Albrun's first baby came from that. I mean, who else does she come into contact with? Right. Yeah. Like we said, there's a lot in this film about cycles and generations. So if Alburn was a product of being taken, like her mother was taken and raped or whatever, and then is that what happened to Alburn too? And then I have a theory that what we see Alburn do later is kind of her way of of stopping the cycle, mm. ending it with her, ending like the pain right. with her. Um. So yeah, then another horrible bit happens. Uh most unwatchable scene in the movie yeah uh swinda and Alburn kind of go for a walk down the beautiful hill and swinda i hate the way she approaches it so they see this man and swinda like skips up to him like almost like a little schoolgirl. like Ugh. she's like skipping so along like, yeah it's really horrible and she like she invites this man on this walk with them and then they lie down and swinda instructs the man to rape Alburn. And it is just the most, I mean, obviously what he does is horrific, but to have this betrayal from someone who Alburn thought was her only friend, not only her only friend, but another woman to hold her down while this man does like unspeakable things to her is so horrible. Yeah, it's also very intimate between the two of them. And in a way that like they have, I mean, Alburn's very isolated but i just also think there's like a, a line of queerness through this where you know i mean she's masturbating while she's milking the goat like that's i, I feel like that's part of that like and then swinda's coming around her and they're getting closer and closer and then this scene is so like excruciatingly intimate between the two of them and she's like whispering in her ear and she's yeah. smiling. That's the most hard. I was like, Swinder is smiling. She has her eyes closed and she's like caressing Alvin's face. Yeah. Well, and Swinda, when she holds her down, another really disturbing line when she says like, it's disgusting how you you all smell. And, and yes. she refers to a rotten stench. And it's such an interesting, because scent is also like a very physical, um, intimate and like, erotic thing so like even something like you might if she's saying it's a rotten she's noticing her smell right like there's something about that that feels almost like a queerness as well like whether or not yeah. that's being yeah. addressed um and it's this like perversion of intimacy right yeah. absolutely and it, go, it kind of harks back to at the beginning scene with Auburn's mother smelling her hand like yes, yes there you true. go yeah, yeah totally so Auburn obviously has 
a smell that people pick up on and in this <laughs> yeah i mean i mean it's the 15th century give the girl a break well we but. all got smells in the 15th <laughs> none of us are bathing like it's when don't pretend like you have any good smell on your body come on i just i'm always curious to know who is she referring to when she says you, you, s- all. you all smell i think she's talking about the heathens and the jews like i yeah, think she's just being but it's so weird that it becomes a group in that moment. You're right. It's very, it's part of what's very jarring about yeah. that moment. Totally depersonalized. Yeah. Yeah, which is strange for such an intimate moment. It's like a fetishizing almost in a way. Because I was trying to think, what is the benefit? What does Swinda get out of, you know, offering up her quote unquote friend to a man? Is it just, is it a punishment? Does she want Albert to be punished? Yeah, this is where I'm saying like the the way that she behaves like really feels like she is getting off on it. Yeah, it does. It and does. it's kind of like a proxy almost. Like she can't do that, but it's socially acceptable for her to get someone else to. Yes. And it's also though interesting because it is such an intimate moment, but then thinking about what happens next, you're like, was this all orchestrated? Like how much of this was thought out? Because other things are happening as this as she's being raped that we find out later and it's right you wonder how like what that village meeting was like oh my goodness yeah i hadn't even thought i hadn't even put the timeline together but yeah you're right so as we move into the next chapter blood um we well first of all i'll there's this like 20 minute scene of alburn standing up like after her rape which is um really beautiful but one of those very long scenes um Alburn goes back to her home and her goats have all been stolen except for one of them, which is like strung up and uh, like gutted. You know, we already know that Alburn has a really intimate, loving relationship with her goats. So this is just like such and they're a her livelihood. They're how she can live. I mean, it's interesting, too, because right. the first the very first thing she checks on is she runs to check on her baby. Which is and the baby's fine. That baby has been alone for a long time. <laughs> you know, the baby has just been chilling Frequently. for long periods of time. Frequently alone. I keep thinking, oh, she's probably got the baby on her back or like tight. Nope. That baby's <sighs> just at home. Yeah, I remember spending the first watch through being like, where's the baby? Is the baby okay? You know, I wonder what, like, I would, I'd love to talk to like a medieval expert about like child rearing in the 1500s in like rural Germany because I feel like they probably left babies alone a lot. I just, I don't know if that's true, but I'm very curious. also young enough that it's not going anywhere. Exactly. It can't do anything. It can just lie. Yeah. Yeah. It's got that, that cradle going on for it. Yeah. She probably thinks it's just fine. Cause like who's coming to that hut realistically? Like she's probably not seen a visitor except Swinder in like years. So Mm -hmm. yeah, she probably thinks it's fine. Um, but yeah, anyway, she goes back and the goat has been gutted. And that's one of, it's not a hugely gory mo- uh, movie, but this is quite a gory scene mm-hmm. um, where the goat's innards just like fall out. And um, yeah, so that has obviously happened while Alburn was getting uh, raped by the guy. So, because in my head, I always thought, oh, it must have been Swinder, but she was there mm-hmm. with Alburn. So I wonder, yeah, is it a. Uh, you know, is it a community effort to kind of push Alburn out or cleanse the sacrilege? Exactly, from yeah. The community. Right. So after Alburn 
uh, sees the goat gutted, she, I think this is Alburn's first act of witchcraft. If we're going through the fact, like, is Alburn a witch? I think this is her first act of witchcraft, is, and it's a malevolent one. So she takes a dead rat and pees, um, puts the dead rat in the river, like the source of the water, and then she pisses on it. The first time I watched this, I was, you know, because it's called Witch, I was like, okay, it's time for her to get some magical revenge. It's time for the carry shit to happen. <laughs> and yeah, she just poisons the water supply. Like, I mean, maybe there's some, you could say that there's a supernatural element to it, but if you drop a dead animal into the stream that people drink from, then they're going to get sick and die. Right. And her too, presumably. Like, doesn't she drink from the stream? I mean, maybe she has her own little. She must have her own yeah. source. I mean, yeah. she's probably upstream from it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I, I'm sure she doesn't, and I'm sure she wouldn't use the village water source because um, if she wants to be away from the village because they bully her, she would not want to be seen there because it'd be such a popular, people would be going there all the time, you know? Yeah. Gossip space. Yeah. yeah, they'd be washing their shit, they'd be yeah. doing their, so she would not want to actually be anywhere near that. So, but I, I, I can, you can see it as an act of witchcraft. I mean, I, I definitely see it as like this, um, you know, the cost of like, if this, like society needing an ab like needing another but then if you do act to remove that other that will consume you right so like yeah. this is the other balancing the scale right and she can fuck you up like if if you fuck her up yeah she'll fuck you right back and and so like it's it's just kind of like a, a cosmic balancing almost of of what has been enacted upon her and and i guess you could see that as witchcraft although you know, I, I, I kind of more see just, like, her living her life outside of the society and, like, masturbating while milking goats and being in Pissing nature. In like, river. that's kind of witchcraft, you know? Yeah. Like, that's kind of... And she's being punished for it, and and then she just punishes them right back. But mm -hmm. then after that, at the beginning of the next chapter, we see a bunch of bodies being carted away. And I didn't know if it is Swinda is one of the bodies because... The hair kind of looks like Swinda's hair. Mm -hmm. It does. It does. I thought it was Swinda. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know if the other body was the man, but at least I think we're meant to assume it's Swinda, and in, mm -hmm. in that case, the revenge has been successful. Because then Alburn does this amazing, like, little giggle to herself. Mm -hmm. yeah, she's very pleased. It's the first time we've like seen her happy in this whole movie as well, and first and last. So it's really nice to see her, like, yeah, her revenge worked. Her little uh, river piss did its job. Yeah, and that's where I think you could maybe say that that was some kind of supernatural, um, whatever, some kind of ritual, because right. to direct it at someone and, and actually get them. Yeah. Either really good luck or something else. Yeah, and to get them so quickly. So, I mean, there's no time frame in this movie, but I'm assuming it happens relatively soon because, you know, no, nothing's really changed. So blood is maybe the most, I mean, most violent chapter, I guess. I mean, in terms of death. Alban takes her baby into the forest and she takes mushrooms. Now, we've seen such a like real boom of psychedelics in horror in the last 10 years or so. Um, I was not surprised at all to see them show up in this movie. Like it was just, it was a matter of time, basically. And they've got maggots all over them as well. Oh, yeah, the maggots. They Ooh, do. Gross. Yeah. They absolutely do. You can hear their squishy sound. 
Yeah. Yes, the sound design once again. Yeah. Everything is so quiet. You can hear the maggots And it's like the whole nature is like alive around her. Like she can hear the maggots and the whooshing through the trees. Um, so yeah, Albrin takes mushrooms and then she wanders into the most horrible looking lake I've ever seen. It's kind of filled with all this like muck, all this murky, like old leaves. And she submerges her infant daughter in the water and she lets the baby drown. And oh boy, does it, <laughs> does this scene go on? Yes, it does. This feels so true to hallucinogens. Like when she wakes up and looks up at the trees and it's like kind of geometrical in a way that it wasn't before. And then like she's hearing the baby crying and it's like this horrible sound. I wonder if if she had not taken those mushrooms, would she have done the same thing? Like, because she clearly there are points that when she comes to and she's like, oh, God, what did I do? But by this point, it's too late. I'm thinking about if we go back to what we said earlier about like cycles of trauma, I think subconsciously she was like, I don't want this baby to have to go through everything I have. Let's end it here. Right. Because she goes into this scene like after she's kind of I mean, she's gotten her revenge, but she's also still completely fucked. Yeah. I mean, her livelihood's been taken away. She doesn't have anything to eat, literally. And so it definitely feels she goes to this, this like peaceful scene in the woods and it definitely feels like this isn't appropriate for if you're still trying to live. Yeah. She's probably realized now she still has she has an extra mouth to feed that she just can't. And mm -hmm. maybe she thinks she's doing the kindest and most selfless thing for the baby. Um Another thing of this movie where you're just like, oh, God, this movie does not let up in, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in how bleak it is. You know, we very rarely see an infant death on screen. Um, well, more so recently, like we said earlier, but it's still it's still a thing that is quite shocking to see. Especially done this drawn out. I uh, Yeah, and I like, you know, it's I know slow burns aren't for everyone and you have to be in a certain mood, but... I think this one does a good job of having like it does have a significant plot, right? Like it's not one of, you can't say that nothing happened in this film. That would be a wild oh, people so probably said happened. it, but yeah. that would be a wild thing to say um because a lot happens, but it like it the film makes you kind of sit with the weight of everything that happens like after it happens. And if you know, I don't know, like yeah, you got to be in a certain mood to maybe accept that and um but I think it's it's kind of beautiful. Like, you do have to sit with it and think about, oh, shit, she just, oh, shit, she just drowned this baby. Yeah. Like, oh, what does that mean? How is she going to feel when she's not high out of her mind anymore? Like, mm -hmm. there's so many things to, to think about. Because, yeah, I think you could definitely read it. I think there is the argument to be made that subconsciously she did it because she's like, yeah, I can't. But I also think in that moment, too, I mean, she looks at this baby with such horror. Like, her eyes. Yeah. It's, and her face yes. is so scary when she does that. And you think, and yeah, maybe that's her realizing, but it also seems like she just, her everything has been weighing her down. Like this, like she's had a lot of shit kind of just weigh her down. And like her just letting go of this baby is her being like, I can't take this. I can't take this weight anymore. Yeah, literally like, like letting the weight off of her because mm -hmm. she just lets it float yeah. away. 
And yeah, her Alexandra Quinn, who plays Alburn, she just has the most amazing eyes. Like she can say so much with. I mean, Alburn barely speaks in this movie. Right. I didn't add it up, but she's probably got one or two lines of dialogue. But she says so much with her eyes. Like when she's in the rape scene, her eyes say everything. And yeah, when she's looking at her own baby, she's just like, oh, "What is that?" Yes, yes. And I, yeah. I know it's like interesting because yeah, we don't know where that this baby comes from, and it's so I love the refusal to ever give us that. We don't know where this baby comes from. We don't know what happened. We don't know even where Alburn comes comes from. Right? We don't see her have no. a dad, and it's an interesting kind of thing because yeah, you could say like maybe she was raped by a villager, maybe she was you know, but then also every chapter that we've seen has like deep trauma for Alburn, right? And it's like we skip 15 years and she has a baby, but it's like, I don't know. Did she actually have like a good, like maybe a dude came by and he was like a field worker and he stumbled upon her thing. And she's like, you're hot. Let's fuck. You know, yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah, but maybe it, she did just have a partner for a while. Or maybe just a passerby. And she's like, I don't know that sex gets you pregnant. I don't know anything. Um, yeah. And it's just interesting to think, right? Because it's like, it'd be interesting that we... I like it both ways. I like thinking of like, yeah, we skipped over that trauma because we don't need that to define her. But also I like thinking um, that she had a period of time where maybe she was independent. She was happy. She was yeah. living her life. And we're not privy to that. We we have to see her pain and suffering. But like she had a life that we'll never get to, to see where she she was, you know, happy. Right. And I mean, if you want to look at this movie in a way where she's actually some kind of powerful witch in in some way that i mean there's definitely lots of folklore um basis for having a baby um that way mm -hmm. yeah, yeah definitely so. it's almost as well like those animals that just reproduce by themselves like well maybe that's what <laughs> witches do is they just have a baby like yeah, and just such a great uh, such a confidence for a first-time filmmaker to just be like yeah i'm not gonna tell them Yes. Don't overexplain. Yeah, honestly, it doesn't really matter. There's the we're pretty much completely removed from men. Yeah. In this story. Well, yeah. They. I mean, there are. We see the men at the beginning. We see the priest, and we see the rapist and the boys. There is not a single positive interact. I mean, there's not a positive interaction with women either. I just realized this. Yeah, that. but it's just like the men are like not a part of her. No, life absolutely at not. All. They go. They go through. And they I mean, cause her pain. And Right. And this kind of does, I mean, like to, to just have a baby there, like, yeah, where do babies come from? At some point, she probably had sex with someone. We don't know the circumstances. We kind of don't need to. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The baby's there. And importantly, as well, the baby's a girl. So then we move into the final chapter of Hagazusa, which is fire. So Albrun goes home after, after killing her child and she has snakes in her bed. Ugh. Yeah. The same kind of like thin black snakes that were all over her mother's body. And, you know, it doesn't really take a scientist or linguist to figure out snakes are hugely symbolic, especially with witchcraft and like um, femininity and masculinity as well. And um, yeah, so Alburn wakes up back at home and she's still tripping. Like, I mean, I'm not familiar with psychedelics, but they last a long time, right? They do last a long time. I also wonder if this mushroom was poisonous. Probably yes yeah because this is she's like tripping harder and harder like at one point it comes back on her like extremely um severely yeah 
Yeah, and maybe she ate a maggot too. I don't know if maggots do those kind of things, but maybe. Know, maybe. <laughs> maybe a maggot had eaten mushrooms. Oh, yes. And then she ate Disgu- <laughs> like a, like a worm. A maggot. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, disgusting. <laughs> so in, I mean, I keep saying the most horrific part of the movie, but they're all pretty horrific. So <laughs> Albrin goes into her living space and the corpse of her child is wrapped up and it's almost like she's forgotten which is even worse than the original act I think is the fact that she maybe forgot and had to relive it that to me is just it's like sometimes if you have something awful's happened in your life you go to sleep and you wake up and for like five minutes you you forget that it happened Yeah, and then you have to relive it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of she removes the blanket, she sees her kid, and it just all comes back to her. And then she puts the baby in the pot of stew. And, well, I think it's stew. I mean, that's all they ate back then. I mean, there's something bubbling over a fire, which I'm like, when did she start a stew? When did she make this food? But she got home high. She was probably hungry. She wanted to trip in. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so she places the baby into the pot and um, I have to admit, not a lot of things make me queasy these days in horror movies, but the eating of the flesh really Mm. got to me. Yes. It's Um, disgusting. Her pulling the little skeleton out. Yes. Okay, this is the thing that actually grossed me out, which is funny because it wasn't, I mean, I love the eating of the baby and all that stuff. Like, it's visceral, it's good. Um, But... What grossed me out was that she, I was like, did she, she put that baby in a dirty ass kind of swamp. And then did she, she, I mean, I know she didn't clean that baby before she put it, but oh, for some no. reason that's, put it in there. for some reason that's what's fucking me up. I'm like, there's dirty <laughs> you need a clean water baby. in there. I'm not, I it don't know why. On it and stuff. I, I don't know why that's what hung me up on it, but I was like, you got to wash that baby before you eat it. I'm just going to yeah. say. I mean, that's just you good food hygiene. Yeah. yeah. Just wash yeah. your babies before you boil them. It was please. the 1500s. They didn't know. They didn't yeah. know that good hygiene. Exactly. Uh-huh. And she kind of, I, I just don't know why she, because she doesn't have to eat it. Nobody's forcing her to. I guess it's just another one of these things. For me, I thought it's another thing of her, like, ending the bloodline, just making sure that this never happens again. But... Yeah, I mean, it could be a witchcraft well, thing as well. I love I love cannibalism in movies. It's a big thing for me, which is actually funny because I didn't put cannibalism in the um, in our words. Well, you but, got it anyway. We got <laughs> there. I got it anyway. It always finds me. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, like like you said, eating babies is definitely a witch thing. Yeah, yeah. But it's also kind of like another perverted intimacy thing. I think where yeah she put the baby in her body like again she put it back into her body yeah yeah maybe it's kind of like she she regrets what she did or she wishes she could like have things back the way they were so she's like okay I'm just gonna start again now um and she's obviously not in a sane state of mind by now and um yeah just the way like the gray meat of it just looks Ugh, so gross and she like nibbles yeah, it yeah 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 yes. like tentatively like just a little bit and it gets all over her mouth and it's just absolutely revolting and then kind of like halfway through eating she realizes again she kind of comes to and realizes like what she's doing and she has this explosive screaming moment which is i think is the most we've heard from her in the entire film 
the most yeah. the most sound she's made and she just starts screaming not unlike her mother was at the beginning of the film and like vomiting up this well, presumably baby meat i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yes yes whatever it is it looks disgusting and then the the horror really amps up here we've got all these like crazy screaming laughing the sounds of her mother the shadows on the wall it's a it's a very welcome change of pace from how this movie's been so far it kind of explodes in its final moments and I, I love the use of color as well because it's a film that's been quite naturalistic in its colors, obviously. But then we get some like neons in this. Yeah, so Alburn runs out of the house and then we get our final scene, which she runs out and it's now daytime outside. And this is such a beautiful and poignant scene to me because so rarely do horror movies end like so quietly. Um, so Alburn lies down in the field overlooking like the beautiful mountains and the sun comes up. First of all, we see her eyes have gone like this opaque white color and she just gently bursts into flames. And it's a very quiet, very peaceful ending of a movie, of a sad woman's life. And yeah, just a really gorgeous ending, but really horrible. Yeah, especially considering the moments before it are like when I, you know, I was talking about the trip, like comes back so hard and like everything around her is like vibrating in this horrible way and she's hearing all these voices like screaming at her and she's like yeah. running around terrified and then it just ends yeah yeah it's very much like it very much explodes and then rather than just ending there we kind of get like a little a little landing moment where we just like are eased out into the credits and there's no music at this point it's just we were just watching Alburn's body slowly burn in the sunlight it's going back to what we said earlier about these comparisons to The Witch. Um, like you said earlier, these two endings could not be any more different. There's no catharsis for Alburn like there is for Thomason. Thomason gets this great life with, you know, her naked witch friends. But for Alburn, she ends her life alone, completely alone, sad and having been hurt. Yeah, having experienced the depths of human depravity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no release for her, you know, well, that we're told she just burns on top of the house. Yes. And I kind of, this is the part, because I mean, the whole way through, um, kind of like you mentioned, you can read this film as not having supernatural points in it. But this part, I think... I wasn't sure if she was really a witch up until the end, but this, I mean, unless you think of it more as a metaphor and less like an actual burning, it it leaves a lot to interpretation. But if she did actually set on fire, then that's pretty much, you know, she's a witch at this point. I thought this too, when I watched it the first time, I was like, oh, okay. So that's like the reveal. Um, I will say, and I don't know if this is intentional, but I do think before she runs out of the hut, She's like thrashing around in front of the fire. And so I think it's possible that like the back of her clothes were like burning the whole, like smoldering the whole time and they just catch fire at the end. Ah, yeah, possibly. Cause you know, it's a slow burn movie. It's something that's been building up this whole time. So maybe. Very symbolic. Yeah, maybe she did actually do it to herself. I mean, that could maybe explain why her eyes change as well. Uh, I've got a quote here from Lucas Feigelfeld, the director. He said, so his basic like crux for the movie is after researching pagan beliefs and folklore, 
about witches that were supposed to roam in the woods. His interest was to develop a character that these folktales have branded a witch, but to dig deeper into her psyche and see her as a traumatized, mistreated, and finally delusional person that society constructed. And I think that is really interesting. Um, delusional he also goes on to say like what people did in the middle ages when they had when they were suffering from psychosis so again this could go back to the whole thing is Alburn is not really a witch she's just a very mentally ill person yeah i just i find it really compelling the idea that there is not anything more like magical about her than there is about anybody else she's like a practitioner of like pagan rituals for sure but that doesn't necessarily mean that she is like a witch, that she's like super powerful. Um, I kind of like the idea that she is actually just the same as the other villagers, but she's not the same because she's kind of destined to be an outcast from them. And that makes the ending even sadder because, you know, again, there's this whole like um, going back to the witch again, like Thomasin is like she's chosen especially and she gets to join this, you know, she's the special witch witchy power girl, but. Alburn may just be a woman um, pushed to the edge by cruel people in her life. And that makes her ending sadder is that she's not chosen or like special. She's was just a woman trying to deal with trauma in the best way that she could. Right. Really sad. It's just different. I also really like, and I, I noticed it more this time, the final shot of her on the hill before the fire starts to like the fire kind of like smolders to life like kind of yeah very gently and before that you can't really tell her apart from the landscape like she kind of like becomes like a part of the landscape right and that makes sense because you know paganism is all about like um I mean, I'm no expert but it's like a return to nature and um you know recognizing the roots of where we come from and that would make perfect sense with her narrative as well because, you know, she loves nature. She loves the goats. She loves the tree. She loves lying in the moss. She's very much of the earth. Right. Yes. And to go back to it would be a really, like, fitting ending. It is sad. It's interesting to think about how she is kind of, yeah, part of that environment and part of the, like, naturalistic world. But also, if you are reading it from a completely non-supernatural perspective um obviously like society drives her to interesting lengths but also like ultimately she's killed by nature she has a mushroom and it fucks right. her up yeah. yeah and fire so. like the mushroom and then yes. fire so it's it's exactly yeah, yeah. it's it another... also just feels like um you know you could say like it's beautiful she's become a part of the nature like what's surrounding her but you could also say it's like she was never there yeah. Oh, that's so sad. Cause she may as well not have been. Like she may as well not have been. No one's life. Wow, it's even sadder now. Yeah. Oh. No one's life has changed. You know. Yeah. The baby's gone. The well, baby's everyone's gone. life has changed because also no one else exists in that village now. So. Oh yeah, that's true. They're all dead too. <laughs> that's true. She did kill the villagers. Yeah. So she did make um, put her little footprint in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah good for her. Yeah. Good for her. Good for you, Albrun. We love you, Albrun. Yeah. I mean, baby eating aside. Icon. We stand, Albrun. <laughs> girl boss. <laughs> a girl boss. I mean, she's got her oh, own God. little independent business, you know, <laughs> milkmaid. I mean, she, 
She did have the milkmaid thing, and then her independent business was like putting rat, putting a rat exactly. in the stream. Like you could sell that shit. Yeah. Revenge. I love it. I love it. Ariel and Candice, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for getting into the bones, uh, no pun intended, of Hagazusa. Um, really enjoyed talking to you both. So thanks so much for coming on. Check out all the other fantastic episodes that Ariel and Candice have done with so many great guests on Instagram at NYFGpod. I will put the link tree in the show notes to their store, their letterbox, their discord. And um, if you're not already, of course, go and follow me on Instagram at Hornbloodfire. And stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye.